0: Hello, and welcome to The Hardy Report. My name's Edward Hardy, and for today's interview, I'm joined by Tiffany Muller, the President and Executive Director of N. Citizens United. (music) Tiffany Muller, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Edward. I'm really thrilled to be here.
0: For those that don't know what Citizens United is, Could you give us a bit of background on it and why you believe it needs to be ended and taken out of U.S. politics?
1: Absolutely. So Citizens United was a Supreme Court decision in January 2010. We're actually coming up on the 10-year anniversary of it uh, this next January. And, you know, it took two really terrible ideas and it merged them together. It said that corporations are people- And money equals speech. And it put a for sale sign on our democracy. And basically, it led to the unlimited and undisclosed massive amounts of spending that we see flooding our politics. Um, So a good example is that in the midterm election before Citizens United decision in 2006, um, the outside spending in federal elections in the United States was $37 million. In 2018, the most recent midterm that we had, that number rocketed to $1.1 billion, which is an increase of almost 3,000% in just a few short years, in just 12 years. And what this has meant is that special interest and folks who can spend massive amounts of money have far more say in our democracy than everyday Americans. And so we at In Citizens United our our goal is simply our name. We want to overturn Citizens United. And in the meantime, we want to help elect folks who are going to help us fight to do that and to end uh and to mitigate the damage that big money has caused in our politics.
0: There's often a misconception among voters that Corruption and money in politics are individual issues. But you've talked in the past about how politicians aren't going to be able to make progress on climate change, gun violence prevention, healthcare, etc., etc., until we break big money's stranglehold on Washington. We see in particular an example that most people will be familiar with, the NRA, who donates huge amounts of money to support Republican candidates who oppose attempts to restrict access to guns, to introduce common sense gun control legislation. How intertwined is corruption and money in politics on the political issues voters care about? How much of a stranglehold does big big money have?
1: You're exactly right. I mean, corruption and money in politics are inextricably linked together. There is actually no way to really separate them out. So much of our public policy now is being set uh, by big money, and those policy outcomes are not just being advocated for by folks who can spend the most money, but really those outcomes are basically being purchased. Um, And I think NRA and gun control legislation is a really great example. So let's take a look at it. Ninety percent of Americans support universal background checks on gun sales and gun purchases. And you can't get to 90 percent of anything without having Republicans, independents and Democrats all agreeing on it. And yet we cannot we had a vote in the House of Representatives where it passed. We can't even get a vote in the Senate. And every time we have these horrible mass shootings uh, all the time, and after each one, there's talk about passing universal background checks. And then Wayne LaPierre, who runs the NRA, picks up the phone, calls the White House, and says, I spent $36 million to help get you elected. Don't do this. And it doesn't happen. And that's what's been happening in our country since 1994, which is the last time we actually passed a measure to help control gun violence in our country, 1994. And since then, and especially since Citizens United, basically what we've seen is gun manufacturers funneling money through the NRA and basically buying off politicians. Um, Climate change is another one. Prior to Citizens United, uh, Republicans, especially in the Senate, actually joined with Democrats to try to fight climate change. There were 14 different instances of Senate Republicans uh, taking on climate change and trying to come to agreement on how to address it. Since Citizens United decision was passed, there have been zero, zero instances of Senate Republicans. And that's because you've seen the oil and gas industry spend almost $200 million in every single election cycle to make sure that they are pushing for deregulation and no actual progress on these climate change bills. Um, Pharmaceutical prices, prescription drug companies. You see a tax bill that Republicans passed in 2017 that gave $76 billion in tax breaks uh, to the pharmaceutical companies. Americans are struggling every single day to afford life-saving prescription drugs, and it's one of the top issues that they're concerned with. Did that $76 billion in tax savings get passed on to the consumer? No. Instead, it went to the CEOs and the shareholders, and everyday Americans are paying more and more and more out of pocket. Um, and the, they, Pharma, Pharma has three lobbyists for every single member of Congress uh, on Capitol Hill, And it's why we can't get anything done. So to change this, we actually have to change the system. So We have to get money out of politics. We have to break the connection between lobbyists and our policy outcomes. And then we can actually make progress on so many priorities. This isn't about just one issue, money and politics. This is about every single issue that Americans care about.
0: And it's also about fairness, by the sounds of it, then, that Big money and corporations are able to throw thousands and thousands of dollars at politicians and their campaigns to support them and win them over to their cause, whereas there's greater restrictions on the amount of money, not least because of how much the average salary is in America, that the average citizen, the average voter can give to campaigns to support them. So when it comes down to it, politicians are always going to take the large donations from corporations and big money and the views that they have over the views that the small donations the average vote have. So it's about fairness and leveling the playing field, is it?
1: Absolutely. This really comes down to who are you in Washington to serve? Are you in Washington to serve the people or are you in Washington to serve yourself and the special interests? And it it is hard, right? Like, again, when you have pharmaceutical representatives and companies that have three lobbyists for every member of Congress, and yet the family who's struggling to buy insulin can't be heard, uh, that's not even a fair playing field to have a debate on, right? That's not a debate. In 2018, in our last midterm cycle, um, the top 100 individual donors to super PACs gave more than $119 million dollars. Which made up 80% of the total money given to super PACs, right? Like you're talking about a very, very small sliver of people and corporations who are giving the vast majority of the money being spent in the elections. And it just, it is, it has taken what was already a broken campaign finance system and it's put it on steroids and it's really broken our democracy and the idea that Every person gets to own an equal part of their democracy.
0: On the N Citizens United website, there's currently an instant poll asking people, do you think corporations and nonprofits should have to disclose the money they spend to influence elections? Now, most people would assume that you can track donations and find out, all of the information about who's donated and how much they've donated and where it's gone when it comes to political donations. So how much accountability and transparency is there when it comes to donations from corporations and nonprofits? Could people find this information?
1: Not all of it, and not nearly enough of it. Um, We have what is called dark money, which is undisclosed money, and it often goes through these pretend social welfare organizations. So these are nonprofits that are supposed to work on behalf of bettering the community and helping people. Um, And instead, many of them are set up and they run political advertisements, but at the end they'll say, call your representative and tell them to stand up for X, Y, or Z. Um, The money that goes to those organizations doesn't have to be disclosed. Uh, the And what's happening is that more and more money is going from corporations into these dark money groups or is going from corporations to a dark money group to another group that maybe does have to disclose, but now is shielded from uh, disclosing the initial donation because it's basically been laundered through a dark money group. So uh, we've had about $1.5 billion in dark money spent since Citizens United. Um, and, the again, we'll go back to the NRA. The NRA is a really good example of this. Uh, the NRA itself is supposed to disclose money, but, but what we know is they spent $57 million in the 2016 election. And there's a good portion of that that came from uh, places that we just don't know where it came from because it went through their own dark money group. And some of that money, they believe, actually came from a foreign government like Russia. So the dark money isn't just wrong. We should be able to track every single dollar spent on elections. But it's also a national security risk, because it is how foreign money is getting into our system
0: it's illegal for political campaigns to solicit donations from foreign nationals and foreign governments, and this dark money groups that exist and the way that money is funneled through dark money groups allows them to circumvent that and potentially be committing crimes. And I'm not accusing any one organization here, but it's possible for politicians to illegally solicit funds through this.
1: Absolutely. Um, And the other problem is is that we actually don't know how much of that is going on. And sometimes those dark money groups don't even know that the money is coming in from foreign nationals. Um, there was a, there was a super PAC that took about a million dollars that actually it was traced back to, um, to some Chinese nationals, but it had gone through a shell corporation. So the super PAC didn't even know that it had actually had links to, foreign nationals. So not only does it allow for the circumvention of those laws if someone chooses to break the law, but it also doesn't even allow folks who are trying to follow the law to necessarily have the tools that they need uh, to make sure that they're not taking that money.
0: N Citizens United also recently conducted two polls, a presidential battleground survey and a survey of likely voters in 27 reformers-at-risk congressional districts. Both polls showed that corruption and money in politics are top issues among voters. And from what you've been saying here, it's not surprising that people are concerned and want to address this matter. But with voters caring so much about this issue and asking their representatives to do something and make a change. They must be looking at this and saying, why has money not been, why has big money not been kicked out of politics? Why have these dark money groups not been addressed? What's going on in Congress that prevents this from happening?
1: One word, Mitch McConnell. I guess that's two words. One name, (laughs) Mitch McConnell. Um, Look, here's what happened in 2018. It, we have seen for over two years that cracking down on political corruption, getting money out of politics is a top issue for voters across the country. Uh, and it has been the number one issue among independent voters. It's been tied or above making health care more affordable. Um, it, people have lost faith in their government. They don't trust their elected officials and they're angry and they're frustrated. And what happened in 2018 is a group of reformers ran on this issue across the country, and they were able to to just attack this head on and say, look, I'm going to go to Washington, and I am going to take on the corruption, and I am going to fight to get big money out of politics. And these candidates won, and we flipped 40 seats from Republicans to Democrats, and Democrats took back the House for the first time uh, since 2010. And the very first thing that the House did was introduce the largest anti-corruption package uh, that we have seen in a generation called H.R. 1. H.R. 1 basically is the very first bill. It designates what is the top priority. Uh, and that was the very first thing that Democrats did in this new Congress. And every single Democrat signed on to co-sponsor it. And on March 8th, they passed it with every single Democrat voting for it, every single Republican voting against it. And they sent it over to the Senate, where it is now sat on Mitch McConnell's desk for 272 days without even being brought up for debate or a vote. And Mitch McConnell's really prided himself on basically sitting on over four hundred and fifty pieces of legislation, not just HR one, which again, the largest anti corruption bill that we have seen in a generation, but background checks on guns, uh bills to lower prescription drug prices, equal pay for equal work, um you know, bills to help the to help workers and small businesses. He is sitting on everything. Uh, And it's because he doesn't work for people. He is owned by his special interest donors. And so he is giving them and giving the NRA and giving oil and gas companies and giving pharma what they want rather than what the people need.
0: Putting us at risk of repeating previous comments, then, when you look at the roadblock that Mitch McConnell has presented in the Senate, that comes back to the reasons behind eliminating Citizens United, then, because... It's not in the Republican Party's interest to remove this money because that's where the donations go. And we're seeing that Democrats this time around are rejecting super PACs and corporate money and taking small dollar donations, whereas the Republicans are continuing to take money from these groups. So that's where it all comes back to. It's sort of this vicious circle, as it were, that goes on. So how does that get addressed? It's the only solution here then. Electing Democrats in both the House and the Senate and the White House so that they can pass through HR 1. Is it just getting rid of Mitch McConnell? Is he the sole problem? Do you think without Mitch McConnell, the Republican Party would agree to it? You know, how does HR 1 and policies like that get into law?
1: Well, we know that it matters. We know that who's in power matters, right? And that uh, right now, These issues are bipartisan across the country. They have the support of Republicans, Democrats, and independents across the country. But here in Washington, this has become a partisan issue. And it's because, frankly, right now, Republicans are making the calculus that they can serve their donors rather than the people and that they're not going to have to pay that big of a price for it. And so part of our job is to make sure that they do pay a price for it and to make sure that the voice of people get through. And we saw that in the House in 2018, where, again, we flipped the most seats uh, since Watergate. And we saw that then turn to real action on policy. And so, yes, we now have to take on the most corrupt president that we've ever seen in America, and we have to oust him from the White House, and we have to change the makeup of the Senate. And it's not just Mitch McConnell. What we see right now is that, you know, Susan Collins in Maine, you know, used to be an independent voice, used to serve Maine voters, is now just serving special interest in Washington. Uh, she has a really tough race on her hands for probably the first time in years. Um, Martha McSally, who was actually defeated in her election in 2018, who was then appointed uh, to the Senate by the governor, um, You know, is Mark Kelly, who's an astronaut, and Gabby Gifford's husband is running against her, and we have a great opportunity to pick up that seat. Corey Gardner, who last cycle was head of the National Republican Senate Committee and told the Republican caucus, you have to pass this tax bill that's unfair to Americans but helps our donors, otherwise these donors won't give us money. You know, he's running for re-election in Colorado, and that's a great opportunity for us to flip another seat. So it it is not just Mitch McConnell. We have to hold these uh, Republican senators who are serving the interests of their special interest donors instead of the people. We have to hold them accountable all across the country. And that is how we're going to make change. We have to show that this issue has enough political power to cost people their seat and that's the only way they're going to wake up and pay attention.
0: Looking at politicians that are supporting the work of End Citizens United and trying to get big money out of politics, back in July, N Citizens United launched the Reform First campaign, highlighting the 2020 Democratic presidential candidates who are committed to making anti-corruption and democracy reform legislation their first bill if they're elected president. A number of Democratic presidential candidates, including Elizabeth Warren, Marianne Williamson, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, and Michael Bennett, those still in the race, have promised that among their first piece of legislation would be a clean government bill. How optimistic are you that with this sort of support, the days of money in politics influencing policy are coming to an end?
1: Well, I I feel more hopeful than I have ever felt about it. And I think that um, after years and years of moving in the wrong direction, that we're seeing a backlash that's really being uh, powered by voters across America and by people who are angry uh, again about a system that's leaving them further and further behind, who are pushing back and saying, look, I'm going to hold you accountable for not uh, paying attention to us and for instead paying attention to the donors. And we're seeing this, um, it play out with these candidates. So to your point, um, you know, we had eight presidential candidates who said that uh, an anti-corruption bill would be their very first piece of legislation in a new administration. Um, two of those have since dropped out. So we're, we're at six. But even for the presidential candidates who haven't signed on to reform first, many of the others have said that this would still be a very top priority for them. Um, You know, uh, Vice President Biden it, has not signed on to reform first, but his very first bill when he was elected to the Senate was a public financing bill. So this has long been a, a top issue for him. Um, so I think up and uh, all across the Democratic presidential candidates, we see that this is now a top priority. We are pushing and will continue to push for this to be the very first priority because we know that this then influences every other issue we want to work on. And that actually, if you address corruption and getting money out of politics first, voters trust you more to take on the other big issues. So it actually buys you credibility with the very voters that we need. Um, so we will continue to push for that to be a top priority and the very first thing that they do.
0: A lot of the candidates who've come out in support of and Citizens United are pledging to not take money from corporate donors and instead their campaigns are funded by grassroots donors. We've seen this elsewhere from other candidates out there who are running for office and have taken the same approach. But by not taking money from corporate donors or moneyed interests, they put themselves at a disadvantage compared to their opponents who freely take any of the donations that they can acquire how can candidates ensure they're able to battle on the same level as their opponents while also tackling the system of corporate money in politics?
1: So this is a, this is an exciting change that we're seeing uh, in the last couple of years. You know, prior to 2018, there were seven, only seven members of Congress uh, out of the 535 that were not taking corporate PAC money. And, Uh, The reason that this becomes an important kind of placeholder is that voters feel like corporations are exerting way too much power and influence in Washington, that they're buying outcomes, that they're setting the agenda, that they're using money for access, um, and corporations give money in order to help their bottom line. So it's whatever will help increase their profit, increase shareholders' profit, uh, decrease regulation on them. You know, voters aren't wrong about those things. That's absolutely what's happening in Washington. And so what we saw in 2018 was this movement start where hundreds of candidates across the country actually ran on, I am not going to take that money. And you're exactly right. They were saying, I am willing to forego taking money to a political campaign when every dollar matters and every dollar counts. Uh, because it was more important to instill faith and trust with voters and to say, you're going to be able to trust that when I go to Washington and I sit down at the table, any decision I make is going to be because I am representing you, not representing a donor. And what we saw is that these candidates were then rewarded from small-dollar donors who were excited about this stance, excited about this new kind of politics And actually what happened in 2018 is that the folks who weren't taking corporate PAC money, they were out raising their Republican opponents. Um, And what we've seen, we now have 63 members of Congress who aren't taking corporate PAC money. So we went from seven to 63 in just a year. And what we've seen is that the folks who are in the most competitive races who aren't taking corporate PAC money are on average out their colleagues who are taking corporate PAC money by $250,000 so far this cycle. So, again, it is these small-dollar donors uh, who are giving $5 or $10 or whatever they can, who are coming together and saying, this feels like something I can be a part of. This feels like a movement I can be a part of and someone I can believe in and someone who's willing to go up there and fight and make it different. And they're being rewarded for that. And that's really, really exciting.
0: And I guess if you look at a specific example of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she outraised every other House Democrat in the last fundraising quarter, but didn't take a single dollar from corporate donors or super PACs. So it is possible to raise substantial Amounts, and we are seeing other candidates do that. When you look at the issue that obviously it comes down to not taking that money and for politicians to reject it, this is part of a wider issue. But you talked about there how people are rewarding these candidates, people are rewarding these candidates who are taking this stance when it comes to politics. Is this a winning issue for candidates in 2020 from all parties? That stand up and say they're going to fight corruption and big money.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What we have seen is that this is a key way to win back independent voters and swing voters who are kind of, they feel the most shut out from the system, right? And so a good example is Connor Lamb's special election in early 2018. It was a district that uh, Trump had won by almost 20 points. A Democrat hadn't been elected there in 60 years, and uh, Conor Lamb, uh, he announced that he wasn't taking corporate PAC money. We were one of his very first endorsements, and he really ran headlong into this, and he said, you can trust that I'm going to fight for you because I'm not taking this money. I need your help. We're all in this together, and he ended up squeaking out a win in this really, really Republican district. Uh He won by, like, less than half a percentage of a vote. Uh, and we did some post-election polling, and what it showed was the number one issue why people voted for him was that he was going to protect Social Security and Medicare. But the number two reason why folks voted for him was that he wasn't taking corporate tax money. And it was actually the number one reason why Trump voters had switched their vote and voted for a Democrat was because they felt like he was going to go and represent working uh, families. And so we've been able to replicate that data across the country last cycle. Um, and what we've seen is that it helped propel wins in these very uh, Republican or Republican-leaning or really tough districts um, and helped really propel these Democrats to victory. So I, I think we're going to see the exact same uh thing play out in the senate races this year where we know that the margin of victory is going to be really slim and it'll come down to these swing voters and what it's going to be about is who's going to go to washington and work for them and the folks who aren't taking corporate PAC money that is a way to just open the door to those voters and say look i am a different kind of politician
0: you can trust me Earlier this year, N Citizens United called on the Democratic National Committee, the DNC, to hold a debate focused on reforming the political system, dubbed an anti-corruption debate. This uh, was supposed to model the climate change debate, for example, that they've had, the issue debate that they've looked at in other areas are you disappointed that, unlike other issues, the DNC hasn't taken up this anti-corruption debate yet?
1: Yes. Right now, we would settle for a question in a debate about it, right? Like, um, voters know this is important. They're talking about it in these town halls and events. The candidates are on the trail. They're talking about it. And you can even hear, if you watch the debates, you can hear them bring it up when we're the subject of climate comes up or when guns comes up or, you know, when the price of pharmaceutical uh, drugs come up. Um, so the only people who seem to have a hard time getting that this is a really important issue to voters is the moderators and the media who are holding these events. So, yeah, we continue to push to get questions asked in debates to, challenge the media and the DNC to recognize that this is a really central issue to voters and that if we're not leaning into it, we are ceding ground to Trump that he actually used in 2016 to help propel him to a win. So uh, we we will continue to push that, and hopefully they'll change their mind on it.
0: As the 2020 election rapidly approaches, while there aren't opportunities at the moment like that debate to hold candidates feet to the fire and challenge them on this and pressure them to address the issue of corruption and big money in politics. Looking at all parties here, what would you advise people to do who are listening to this and want to challenge the issue of corporate money in politics? They want to pressure candidates, whoever that candidate is, Republican, Democrat, Independent, etc., to promise to end Citizens United. Mom the most
1: important thing is that we need more and more people speaking out about it. So, uh, going to town halls, asking questions on it, uh, t- sending in letters to the editors, calling their elected representatives. Um, he, he, I, oftentimes voters feel like their voices don't matter. And it is actually the opposite that a very small number of people all rising up and asking the same question or sending in the same letter or making the same phone call can make a huge difference. So we need folks to step in and take action. Um, We need them to volunteer for a campaign. Uh, We need to have them and obviously vote, right? Like everyone that's listening to this, we need them to vote Um, and to make sure that their family and friends vote too, because that is the way that we're going to win. And if they would – you know, I, I'd welcome them to get involved with In Citizens United. They can go to incitizensunited.org or follow us on Twitter at Stop Big Money. That's at Stop Big Money. And uh, we would love to have more people, uh, you know, get involved.
0: Tiffany Muller, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure.
0: That was Tiffany Muller, the President and Executive Director of N Citizens United. You can find out more about her on Twitter at Tiffany Muller and the work of N Citizens United on Twitter at Stop Big Money, and www.ncitizensunited.org. That's all for this week. What did you think about that interview? Let me know on Twitter at Edward T. Hardy. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to give us a 5-star rating and subscribe. Until next time, goodbye.